Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is December 11th, 2022. I can't believe it's almost Christmas and 2023 is around the corner. Sounds crazy. Uh, I think time is actually speeding up. It's such a cliche, but man, uh, feels like literally yesterday, uh, Supercross was going through the 2022 season and you know summer for me was a whirlwind uh with lucas oil promotocross and the upside is though we get more supercross soon and if you're like me these weekends are pretty slow uh you know we don't have much racing in the way of mxgp MotoGP, supercross um there's just not a lot formula one is done college football i'm a fan of just ended as well you know we're going into bowl seasons so there's just it's, it's a really slow period. Now, I do find myself more productive. That's an upside. But there's just not a lot out there for entertainment. So hopefully, this podcast will, uh, will fill a little bit of that void. And I have been uh, receiving your questions. I appreciate all of you that have sent them in. That really helps me get some ideas of things to talk about. But before we jump into those, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, the International Vet MX Series, and Fly Racing. So this week, uh, I have some questions I've lined out here. There's uh, a couple guys sending a bunch, and I, I really appreciate that. And the thing I enjoy most about these questions is they force me to think a little bit, because... You know, you know how it is. You talk to the same people, your friends, your coworkers, and you kind of you know what they think about all these things already because you spend so much time talking to them. And and for me, those people are like Steve Mathis and Jason Wygan and Daniel Blair and a bunch of these guys. Like I talk to those guys all the time, so I know their opinion on most things, especially when there isn't news to kind of change the narrative. Right? We don't have a race over the course of a weekend to stir up new ideas and create new storylines. We're kind of working off of what happened last year and maybe some off-season stuff. So it gets a little bit stale, and that, that's just normal for this time of year. So when I get these questions from you, it really helps me because I don't necessarily know many of you. I don't know your perspective. I don't know your background or how you're approaching these individual topics. So when I get a different perspective on something, not only do I want to give you my opinion on it on this podcast, but it forces me to think about a different way of approaching that, that subject. And, and 
is there something I've been missing? Is there, you know, another angle to that question that I haven't really considered? So that, to me, that's, that's interesting. Uh, and this question is from Jason Bennett. Thank you for submitting this. And he's talking about one of, I think, the more popular topics as of late. And that is, I don't even know if it's confirmed. I don't know what the status is. But Chase Sexton going to Red Bull KTM for the 2024 season. Now, whether the ink is dry or not, I don't know. I am pretty sure he's going to do that. And this has been going on for a very long time. Um, This was something I was told months and months ago, during Supercross even, that he was making the switch to KTM. And I think he was presented with and signed a letter of intent way back then. And that's where I don't know if he actually has signed his official contract or not. That's, I don't know when that will break. Maybe it already did and maybe I just missed it. But I'm pretty sure that he signed a, an LOI uh, months and months and months ago. So Jason's question is concerning that. Um, he says it's, it's awesome that he signed a supposed four-year deal with KTM, but how will that next season go with Honda considering this entire season is lame duck from boot camp all the way through the end of SMX? Now, on the four-year thing, I don't know. If, that was, if those are details that were released officially, then I missed it and I apologize for that. But I, I don't necessarily know the terms of the deal. I know it was a ton of money, um, which, of course, any one of Sexton's trajectory and youth and you know someone having such a bright future yeah that's to be expected like that's not not uh anything out of the norm that you would think he's going to get or command a huge amount of money like the top tier of the sport and when and for those of you who don't know necessarily what that number is think in the range of two and a half to three million a year um, that may, you know, 3 million may be a little bit high, but it's every bit of two. And I would say approaching three, that would be my guess. And, and I, I truly don't know the number. I'm, I'm not holding out on you. I'm just guessing based on the range. And that's purely from the OEM side. So it's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is I think he would have gotten it from multiple sources. I think Honda would have paid that as well. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to get into with this question. Jason also asked, is it a huge risk, or he says it is a huge risk, to KTM to hinge their future on Sexton uh, being on Honda this entire year? You know, what if he gets hurt? What if he has poor results? What if his confidence goes down? Um, Why didn't they buy out his last year at Honda? Or why didn't Honda just release Chase? So there's a lot there to unpack. Um, The first question I'll, I'll approach first how will this next season go? I think it'll go fine. You know, I think, uh, you know, Sexton has a ton of momentum right now. And his job and Honda's job is to go win races. Period. Full stop. End of story. Now, if you look at other sports, you look at MotoGP, this is very normal for deals to be signed a year out. That happens quite a bit. And it doesn't really affect the results. And you just have to wrap your head around the situation. 2024 is going to come when 2024 comes. There's nothing you can do to speed that up or slow it down. There's nothing, you know, there's no upside to planning ahead for that right now. You know, we're still in December of 2022. So for Sexton to create maximum value for himself, you know, whether it's a gear contract or a goggle contract or whatever, whatever other type of 
non-OEM contract he would be angling for, he needs to be his best self now. And he's, you know, he doesn't have any big bike championships yet. So I don't think there's much to be gained, if at all, by worrying about what's to come in 2024. You need to worry about right now, making this Honda the best it possibly can be, preparing yourself the best you possibly can be, and go out and try to win titles. That's only going to help you. It's only going to, you know, create a better legacy for you. And moving down the road, everything that you want your career to be, you know, you're still writing those chapters of this Chase Sexton book. So I don't necessarily look at it as a lame duck situation because for Honda, there are a lot of people there. Their job is to win and create success. Their job and their, you know, their future, um, whatever, whether it's bonuses or job security or whatever, it's all riding on this stuff. So they need to go win and not worry about what 2024 holds. Now, if you're a decision maker at Honda, yes, you need to be forward thinking because if, if I'm sure they already know if Sexton's leaving or not, Yes, you need to be thinking about how do we fill that hole? Is Jet Lawrence the only, you know, what do we do outside of Jet Lawrence? Is Colton Nichols that answer? You know, there's a lot there to kind of think about and start to strategize for. And I'm sure there are meetings ongoing there of how do we, how do we answer this situation if we lose Sexton? Because I I don't, I'm sure that they plan on Sexton being there for a long time and would love for that to happen. But if he's leaving and he's already signed a contract to leave, there's not much they can do about that other than try to figure out the best possible route to fill that hole. Like who can we get, whether it's a a rider on a different team, like Jason Anderson is his contract's going to be up at the end of 2023. Okay. Could they go after him? Is he deemed too old? I, I don't know, right? So another aspect of that is Cooper Webb, and we'll get into a little bit more about him then later. Would Honda be interested in looking at Cooper Webb, like basically just a swap? I, I don't know. That's, an, that's another thing that they could be looking at. Um, but I don't, for Honda, there's really nothing you can do other than just try to go win as well. You want to position yourselves in the best spot possible for future riders. You want to make that bike look like the best opportunity possible. And on the second part of this question, he's asking, is it a huge risk to KTM? I don't think so because I think this was a genius strategic move by KTM. And just to give you more context of my opinion of how this went down, both Ken Roxon and Chase Sexton were pretty unhappy at the beginning of 2022. They went the wrong direction with their testing. They set the bike up in a way that it, I don't want to say it didn't work because Ken Roxon won the opener and whatever, but it wasn't the ideal setup. You saw Kenny crashing a lot. And I know there was a lot of strife behind the scenes about the motorcycle. Okay. That wasn't a big secret. Many people knew, and I think KTM you know, cliche, they struck while the iron was hot. They made a move. They went after Sexton at a time that I believe he was very vulnerable to being approached because I don't think he was happy with the Honda. I don't think he felt like it was moving in the right direction. And I think he felt like the bike was holding him back. That's my opinion. 
So for KTM to, to move then, to get aggressive, like wildly aggressive, offer a deal almost two years out, that was very smart on their part. They knew and they saw an opportunity to sign a rider who is very likely to be the future success of the sport, right? You can make a case for Jet, of course. You, you know, obviously I'm making a case for Sexton. But it's very hard. Especially, like They didn't know he was going to have this motocross season, right? It, it, everybody that was watching the sport knew that Sexton is going to have a ton of success moving forward if you watched Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. But in, in Supercross, I think it was a little bit less sure. He was crashing a lot. Yes, he was fast. But he didn't look like he kind of had it all put together yet. So give KTM a lot of credit for the foresight here. I, I give them so much strategic um, credit because they really made a genius move in this situation. And if you're asking, is it a risk? I would say no. Could he get hurt? Of course. Could he have a bad year? Of course. But that's the risk with anybody. It, you know, if they signed him this coming summer and they got hit, you know, and his services in October, he could still get hurt for 2024. That's, that's not going to preclude anything that could still happen. But the decision maker's job is to best situate your program for long-term success. And signing Chase Sexton, it's almost impossible to argue that that isn't a great move moving forward. Like he's, what, 22, I think, 23? He's, he's young. He's really young. In the, in the big scope, like the long-term scope of 450 success, he is very, very young. So they, they just have locked him up. And unless they do something to upset him or deter him from staying orange, they just got their guy. And I, that, that is, was a, just a coup of a move by then. So I don't, I don't think there's a result anywhere, any, any part of that. Now, he also, Jason also asked, why didn't they buy out his last year at Honda? And why wouldn't Honda release Chase? Well, both of those questions can be answered in the same way, mostly because there, why would Honda release him? Like he is so poised for success in 2023. Their job is to have a Honda winning races. So there's no way they're going to release him. Why would they do that? Why would they give arguably the brightest star of the sport right now, you know, his future wise, why would they give him to KTM a year earlier? There's no way they're going to want to do that. If Sexton can go win races for the entirety of 2023, that's a win for Honda, regardless of what happens in 2024. That's still a huge win for them. They are in the business of winning, period, right now. So if they have an opportunity to win throughout the year of 2023, they're going to take that. That's what they invested in. That's why they've been molding Chase Sexton since he was at Geico Honda. So they're not going to give that up any earlier than they possibly have to. And KTM, yes, they may have signed him, but they're going to have to wait. (laughs) They're going to have to wait for their moment because right now all eyes are going to be on Honda. And the average fan, like another angle of this, is the average fan sitting at home that they are not as wrapped up in this sport. They're not listening to my podcast. They don't you know, their, their life isn't centered around this as, as such a cult fan as we all are. They don't know that Chase Sexton's going to leave to go to KTM in 2024, nor is that going to be talked about on television or the mainstream channels 
that they probably watch. That's not going to be something that's talked about. Like when you tune in to A1 and you're watching it on Peacock or however you view it, they're not going to be talking about, well, you know, Chase Sexton looks great today, but don't forget he's leaving for KTM next year. That's not going to be talked about. All they're going to talk about is how great he is, how awesome he looks on the Honda, and you're going to see Honda logos everywhere attached to Chase Sexton. And that's really the point. That's why they would never give up that a year early, nor would, you know, like uh, these riders that are leaving in like MotoGP, where I was saying this is the norm, they would never do that either because they want all that marketing attached and, and assigned around him for as long as humanly possible. They want to extract every bit of goodwill and uh, brand recognition around that OEM for as long as they can. You know, if they're going to lose him one day, so be it. But they're going to make the most of it while they can. And while they're, they're still paying him, right, every check that they write, they want to extract every bit of value from that for as long as they can. So um, that's it for this week. Thanks. For, thank you uh, for the question, Jason. There's a lot to unpack there. But um, yeah, interesting. I, I just think for you know, whatever happens in 2024 will happen. But for now, the focus is on right now. And I, and I don't think that Chase Sexton is thinking about 2024 yet. There's going to be plenty of time to think about 2024. Right now, think about 2023 because it's coming. And if you allow yourself to look too far ahead, you're going to screw up this opportunity that's right in front of you for 2023. And there's, there are millions and millions of dollars on the line in 2023, right? But in the margin of winning and not winning, multi, multi millions in there, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars can be gained, maybe more by if he goes out and wins titles and if he doesn't. So that's, that's really why you have to kind of keep your, your focus on the here and now. 2024 will take care of itself. There'll be plenty of time to worry about that. Okay. Next question. Colton asks, did Fly Racing try to sign Colt Nichols? I'm a big Colt fan, and I thought he would be a great fit with Fly, especially on factory Honda. Uh, Also, did Fly Racing go after any big names this offseason? So, uh, yes, we did make an offer to Colt Nichols. Um, In the end, it did not work out. And, yeah, I was was a little bummed. Now, did we go full court press the way we have gone after, say, Cooper Webb in the past? No. But I thought we made a really competitive offer. And, you know, it was, it was kind of a last-minute thing, right? He signs with Honda. In the end, it didn't work out. There were some pre-existing relationships that I think influenced it. But that's okay. Um, you know, things work out in the way they're supposed to work out. And uh, I met with Colt at uh, the Feld Media Days just this past week. And yeah, I mean, obviously no hard feelings. You know, we made an offer. He decided to go a different direction and, and that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that when the right situation comes along and you want to throw everything you possibly have at it, then you should. And if there are situations that would be beneficial and you want to make a competitive offer, you should also do that. And if it doesn't work out, then it wasn't meant to be at that time. So, um, Short answer to your question, we did, we did make an offer. Um, it wasn't something that we were, wi- we were willing to better any offer out there. That wasn't necessarily this situation. Um, but we would, of course, loved to have had Colt's services. He's a great rider. He's very professional. I love the image that he portrays. Um, and uh, I thought it would have been a great fit, too. 
but um, in this situation, it just uh, just didn't go that way. So thanks, Colton, for that uh, for that question. And something else that I was going to mention um, when you're you know when I was kind of saying something where we went pretty hard at it, we did go pretty hard at Roxon. Um, now there was there was a lot to unpack on the Roxon thing, and I'm probably going to dedicate an entire episode of this podcast to my kind of breakdown of fly racing and Ken Roxon and the possibilities there. So that look for that next week that I, I'm going to make a ton of notes on it. And I've got to be a little bit careful about in some of the information I share, but I'm going to try to be as transparent as possible. And this is, that's a project I spent a ton of time on. Um, so yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a next week show will be the interaction and the opportunity that I felt was there for Ken Roxon and fly racing. Okay. The last questions for today, uh, are from Travis McDonald and there are a bunch of these. Um, so thank you. Uh, thanks Travis for these. Okay. The first one, let's say we gave Ricky Carmichael six months of training for supercross back with Alden Baker and the factory team of his choice. If he didn't crash and wasn't taken out, do you think he could qualify for a main event at the ripe old age of 43? Secondary question to that, if he raced the whole season, where do you think he would finish in that championship? Okay, so yes, if you gave Ricky six months and he was all in, you know, I'm talking like full commitment, diet, like do the whole program and do it full commitment because you start half-assing stuff, and pardon my language, at 43 years old and and there's going to be a noticeable difference. That's, you know, the older you get, the more detailed and strict and um, perfect you have to be on your program. But, you know, knowing Ricky, if he did it, he would go all the way with it. Yes, no question he would make main events. That That is a no-brainer. No question about that. Um, I have zero, zero, zero doubt in my mind that that would happen. Like, I, I don't think I could be talked off of that. Because you look at guys that are making main events – yeah, I mean, they're, they're great riders, don't get me wrong, but we're talking about Ricky Carmichael. We're talking about, you know, the best motocross rider that's ever lived. Also a guy that won, you know, 50-ish Supercross main events. I mean, he dethroned Jeremy McGrath, albeit 20 years ago. Uh, but yes, he would, he would figure out a way to do it, no, no doubt about it, especially if you give him factory equipment. Um, yeah, to me, that's a no-brainer. Now, how would he do... That's a much more subjective question, and I think if you ask a lot of different people, you get a lot of different answers there. Me personally, I think he would probably be somewhere around 7 to 10. Um, that, that's kind of how I see it going. I don't think he can go battle with the likes of Sexton, Anderson, Tomac, Roxon. Um, Cincerillo, you know, just that upper tier of speed, uh, probably Barsha, Mookie, like those guys are, they're in their prime. They, you know, the sport has evolved a lot. The speed has evolved a lot, even though I think Chad Reed would argue that that's something we've debated quite a bit. Riding has evolved. The bikes have gotten a lot better. You know, how you can, you know, the, the bikes getting better has allowed riders to develop their skill set. And it's just a continuous movement forward as far as speed and technique and all those things. And, you know, time has passed guys by. They've, it's passed guys by like Chad and Ricky and these guys. 
Um, and that there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a never natural evolution of the sport. That's like saying, have thing, you know, has riding changed since, uh, Rick Johnson was winning in 1990. Has it changed since then to now? Of course it has go back and watch an old tape of how they were riding, right? Front end was super high over the jumps. They're not trying to scrub anything anywhere. You know, it's, it's a completely different riding dynamic than it is now. And to a lesser extent, that same thing holds true if you go back to Ricky's prime, like 05, 06, 07. You know, yes, Ricky and, and those guys were going much, much faster than Rick Johnson was in 1990. There's a, a marked difference there. But there's also a marked difference when you watch the fastest guys ride now, too. You know, they're scrubbing like every jump on the track. The bikes are so good now. The traction control has opened up the door for, you know, what the bike can and can't do. Um, Suspension has evolved. Fuel injection has involved. Like, all those things allow riders to just go faster. Now, it's, it's not this gigantic gap, but it is a difference. And, you know, I think Chad wants to live and I, I'm not trying to pick on Chad at all. Like, trust me, he's allowed to have whatever opinion he wants to have. He, he obviously deserves that, but I think he is like, man, we're just as good as those guys. And I'm not saying they aren't, but the opportunities and that ability to evolve alongside the motorcycle wasn't there, right? Ricky wasn't racing professionally in 2010, 2012, 2016, 2018, 2020. So he could evolve his skill set alongside the motorcycle involvement as well. And if he had, if, if you were able to stay the same age forever, of course he would have gotten better and he would still be the best or right at with the best guys that, that wouldn't change at all. It's just time keeps rolling on and he's gotten older and these guys have gotten better and the bikes have gotten better. So there's, there's a dynamic to that. And I don't think that Ricky at 43 should be expected. I don't think it's a realistic ask for him to be running around the top three, top five. But could he be 8 to 12 to 14? Of course. I I truly believe that. Now, not in his current state. He would need to be fit. And, you know, he would learn a lot about technique. And he would evolve his skill set over the next six months, riding with Mookie and Plessinger and you know, whoever else happens to be RJ Hampshire and these guys, Cooper Webb, he would learn a lot and he would evolve along with them and he would find their pace. That's a big part of this too, is his first day out there. It's not going to be great. I promise. It's not going to be very good. If he just jumped into supercross with those guys who are in the middle of boot camp, it wouldn't go very well for him, but Ricky is so talented. He's going to slowly evolve. And as he gets in better shape and as he's watching what they're doing, he's going to be able to start finding their speed a little bit. So yeah, uh, long answer short, I think, uh, I think eight to 10 is probably fair over the course of a season. Now, would he have great races? Maybe, maybe he gets fifth or something like that. I just don't think he could go with the top end speed of like Anderson and those guys. I, I don't, not at, not at this age, not at 43. Uh, next question from Travis. If Cooper Webb doesn't compete for a championship, do I think he will retire? I don't. Um, it de- depends on how bad it goes. If he's like 10th place all year, it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
but I don't see it. I, I don't think he's ready to retire yet. I just don't. Um, but I, you know, I think he will leave Red Bull KTM for 2024. I think them. That team signing Chase Sexton was a shot across the bow for that to happen. I think, though, that what it does is it opens the door for them to sign, for like Honda HRC to sign him, right? Could they bring him off of the current KTM model, which I don't think he likes at all. That's my personal opinion. I don't think Cooper likes the current KTM. They could bring him to Honda, get him out of that environment, and give him a chance to start over. And also, it would allow him to mentor Jet Lawrence a little bit as he's coming up through the 450 ranks. Now, they would have to sort that out. There's a lot of ego involved there. But those two used to practice at the same facility all the time. When Cooper Webb went to work with Michael Byrne you know, prior to the 2022 season, those guys were riding at the same track all the time. They were around each other. So I think they're is a pre-existing relationship that maybe could work. Webb would be allowed to go back. He wouldn't have to be with Alden Baker anymore if he didn't choose to. He could go back to the 83 compound and they could rekindle that prior working relationship. So that's not something I know about. I'm not like trying to hint at a dynamic that's already working. That's me hypothesizing about what could possibly fit. And you look at where is there an opportunity and where is there, where is there a need? And those two things kind of, you know, opportunity meeting, I don't know the right phrase I'm looking for, but those two things would fit. And you look at Honda, they need a guy and you look at Cooper Webb, he may need a new home. It just looks like a great opportunity could work out there. So just keep an eye on that. If you start hearing Webb Honda rumors, um, it's something that I could totally see happening out of, necessity slash opportunity. Um, I just think it would be a, probably a pretty good fit. You look at Webb's image, it's pretty good for what Honda and HRC like, right? He's clean cut. He's a family guy. Um, and he is a, a proven champion. Honda knows what they're getting. He's a hard worker. And I just see that, you know, he was a Honda guy before. Don't forget that. He was a factory Honda you know, it was through JGR, but he was racing that Honda 150. So there's a little bit of prior history there too. Next question. Do I think Dylan Ferrandis uh, will be a threat to not only win races, but compete for a Supercross championship this year? Personally, I kind of don't. Um, is that fair? Maybe not. I'm just going off of prior history and what I've seen from him in Supercross, and what I see this season stacking up to be competitively, I don't. Um, He hasn't proven to me that he can do it week in and week out without crashes, without injury. Can he find the consistency? In my opinion, not yet. And maybe he goes out and just kills it this year, and then I look stupid. I'm prepared for that. That's okay. Wouldn't be the first time I've looked stupid. But I have not seen anything that makes me think this is going to be a breakout year in Supercross. Now, if you want to talk about Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, that's a different conversation. So don't get those two things confused. I'm specifically talking about Monster Energy Supercross only, not next summer. I just think there's too much inconsistency. There is a proclivity to crash. And I don't think that he can put it together over the course of 17 races to be there at the end. I just do not, I have not seen it. And I do not think, that for some reason we'll happen to see it this year. 
Next question. Do I think Jason Anderson is going to be on the same level he was last year? I do. Uh, talking with him at Feld Media Days last week, he seemed very comfortable. I've talked to people that have watched him ride this offseason. Everything is clicking. He's healthy. He is in his groove with the motorcycle. He's had nothing but consistency through, you know, from motocross into the offseason. There haven't been injuries. There haven't been crashes. He's worked with the team more. He's comfortable with where they're at in testing. So I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be as good or better. Um, that's just kind of how I see it going. Now, is that good enough to win a title? I don't know. You know, he won seven races last year. That's a lot. That's a really, really strong season. So that's, that's going to be tough to match. But I don't see any reason why he's going to take a step backwards. I just don't see it. Everything's lining up for him to carry that momentum, not work backwards from there. So I, I have really, really high expectations for Anderson. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him come out and win A1. Not even a little bit. I haven't made my picks or anything like that for, for Anaheim, let alone the 2023 season. But he could very likely be my pick to, uh, to win that opener. I think I picked him two years ago. One of the years I picked him to win, and he actually won. Um, so I, I'm getting close to making, making that same assessment for, uh, for 2023. Next question. Give us a dark horse or someone who will surprise everyone in the 450 and 250 class this year. Whew, that's something, uh, man, I, I should have probably prepped for that question, question a little bit better. Dark horse for 250, I'm going to say RJ Hampshire, and maybe that's not a dark horse, but when I look at the class, I think he has a really good chance of being strong. And the question with RJ is always, does he crash or does he not? But I think he's going to be really good this year. And I don't know why. I don't have like some storyline or some, you know, rabbit to pull out of my hat as to, oh, this is why. I just think he's going to be good this year. I think he's in a really good place mentally. I think they've taken some serious strides with the motorcycle to improve it. If you look at how motocross progressed for him, they really started to get the bike figured out. And I think that's going to carry into, uh, into Supercross for 23. For the 450 class, it's a little tougher. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I, this is terrible podcasting, so bear with me. Maybe I'll circle back to that question in a future podcast. I just, I'm not there yet on my, uh, my dark horse. Last question for this week's show is how do I think Colt Nichols will do? I think it'll be all right. I don't think he's going to be in the mix to win or anything like that. I, I just, I don't. I look at the class and I look at how competitive it is and I look at how deep it is. I think those guys are on a really, really high level. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's where Sexton is. I don't think he's where Anderson, Tomac, Roxon. I, I don't think he can beat those guys. I shouldn't say can't. I don't think he's going to beat those guys. That doesn't mean it's, it's going to be awful. So pinning me down, where do I think he's going to be? Uh, I'll say kind of in where I thought that range for Ricky would be if he decided to race. I'll say uh, 8 to 12, uh, maybe 8 to 15 at times. 15 gets a little bit – he's a former 250 champion. Let's say 8 to 12. I think that's fair because you look at the guys he's going to have to battle with in that range. It's not easy. You're talking Ferrandis at times, Cincerillo on tough nights. 
Um, who else would be in that mix? Plessinger. There's a ton of guys that are going to be vying for those spots. Guys like McElrath, guys like Sabachi. There's a lot of talent. So it's easy to say, how can you say Colt Nichols is going to be 12th? That's ridiculous. That's super, you know, such an insult. It's really not. Look, start making your list of guys. That's what I would, that's what I would say. If that pisses you off, that, if that answer of saying that he could be 12th pisses you off, start making a list of guys and see how quickly you get to 10th place and where do you slot Colt Nichols into the top 10. That, that's what I would invite you to do. So that's it for this week. Thank you again to all the, the, uh, the sponsors, Pirelli, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, ProGlow Wash, Works Connection, International Vet MX Series, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them. I didn't get super deep into some of the details of that. Um, I will, obviously, in future shows. And if you ever have questions on some of those sponsors, please let me know. Thank you to them. Uh, I would not do this show without them, I promise you. Um, it, it costs me money to, I have to pay a producer and equipment and all those things. Um, and they, they really make this show possible. So thank you to them. Please, if you're going to spend your hard-earned money on them, uh, please choose sponsors of podcasts. doesn't have to be this one. I would, I would em- employ you too, but whether it's mine or Pulpamax or whoever. Also, I wanted to mention, uh, we, I do a Patreon podcast every Saturday of race day season where I cover what I expect to see that morning, or excuse me, that night for the racing. I talk about fantasy, talk about everything that kind of the scuttlebutt late in the week leading into that race. So uh, that Patreon is patreon.com slash industry seating if you want to check that out. And, and that's a weekly thing. You can check out that as well. It, it does cost money. I get it. So if it's not your thing, no problem. But I did want to invite you to join that. That's it for this week. Please keep sending those questions in because I want to keep doing podcasts as we have the run up into uh, to, to Supercross, which is obviously you know beginning of January. Uh, Pulpamex Fantasy will be kicking off here. Signups will open on December nineteenth, which is eight days from today. So super excited about that. Um, you know, fantasy is one of the most entertaining things about this sport, in my opinion. Yes, is it frustrating? Of course. But it also adds so much to the sport and so much entertainment and engagement and all those things. It just, it makes a battle for 17th like the most, <laughs> the most um, engaging and enthralling thing about the entire night sometimes. Uh, makes those LCQs on the edge of your seat action. So um, yeah, if you've never played Pulp and Mex Fantasy, I would, uh, I would definitely invite you to check that out too. That's it for this week. We will talk to you soon. And uh, yeah, again, Send questions in if you have, or, or just feedback in general. Um, want to be as uh, in touch with all of you as possible. See you.